Hey, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have Chris Voss here, author of the book, Never Split the Difference. Today, we're going through real life scenarios, questions, tactics, um, hacks, ways to get time back. And most importantly, I hate to say it, get to the yes, because I know yes isn't always the answer. So enjoy the show. So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question. And this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so pumped today to have Chris Voss. Uh, I'm, I guarantee if you've not read this book, you're going to want to buy the audio book. You're going to want to get this book. You're going to want to read it, listen to it. I don't know. I mean, I probably listened to the audio three times and now I've got him in the studio with me before his spectacular guest appearance at the summit. So Chris, thank you, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having yeah. me. I'm, I'm so excited. So I did something different on this podcast rather than, uh, you know, where I would typically selfishly say, well, here's all the questions that I want to ask this person. Instead, I went right to social and said on Instagram, hey, I'm interviewing Chris Voss, who's got a question. And it just blew up in terms of agents and owners of companies and entrepreneurs and lenders that are like, they want to negotiate better. They've read your book or not. So I'm going to hit a bunch of those. And then my team has a bunch of questions because they all want to negotiate better as well. So they want better salaries, right? Exactly. (laughs) Should we get into that right now? That's just perfect. All right, my team, stop watching now. So Chris, maybe for the, uh, for the six or seven people that are not paying attention right now, who is Chris Voss? Why should they care? Give them the backstory. Uh, Retired FBI hostage negotiator. I was the FBI's lead in National kidnapping negotiator. Um, but better than that, my time in the Bureau, I was with a team of superstars. Mm-hmm. And I learned from the superstars around me. When trying to get better at hostage negotiation, went to Harvard, studied business negotiation. Phenomenal people up there said, man, you're doing the same thing we're doing. The stakes are just different. Really? You know, yeah. We can apply this to everything. Turn around, taught at Harvard two years later when I left the Bureau. Uh, and then started teaching business negotiation. We put this book out, Never Split the Difference. Made my students in the business school not do simulated negotiations. Yeah. Made them take the skills back to their job, see if it worked in the real world. Yeah. They all made a lot of money. Yeah. Did really well. Um, so then we put a book out with Tall Ross. As mm-hmm. I was telling you before, mm-hmm. Tall is a genius. We were real proud of the book and constantly getting... The phrase we hear most of the time is life-changing. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So you you glossed over quickly, uh, arguably, I think one of the most spectacular sort of life experience chunks of your life. You were 20, neg- 20 years with the FBI? 24. 24 years with the FBI. How many hostage negotiation situations did you deal with? In 24 years? Uh, probably in total, I've uh, guesstimated 150 because I'm guessing low. Sure, sure. Um, and, and what a lot of people don't know, most hostage negotiators, two kinds of sieges, most hostage negotiators, two types of situations don't have experience in both. International kidnapping is hardcore yes. bargaining. Yes. Contained, you got the bad guys surrounded in a bank, yeah. in a house in a farmhouse, in a trailer, you know, that's straight emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Most hostage negotiators have one or the other. 
I couldn't give you a number now. At the time, five of us in the world yeah. were good at both. Yeah. And you were good, masterful at both. I, uh, I think my track record shows that I was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was listening to a, uh, it must have been a video I was watching just recently, a couple days ago. And I forget the island nation where this occurred, but it was just, it's something I read in the book. And then you, you were doing it live talking about the situation where, you know, how do you respond to someone that calls and says like, Hey man, how are you going to help me? Yeah, Haiti. The guy who, who basically his son, who was a U.S. citizen. Right. Wh what island was that again? It was Haiti. It was in Haiti. It was in right? Haiti. Tell that story, would you? Just to, just to sort of open up people's minds to what we're discussing here today. Yeah, well, you know, 12-year-old boy gets grabbed in a carjacking. That was the mode of operation, the business model, if you will, yeah. was kidnapping people in carjackings in Haiti at the time, Haiti before the earthquake. And a good business model because you're going to get paid. You, you take yep. somebody out of a car, they got money for a car, they can pay ransom. And if they don't, you got a car. You got a car. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so 12-year-old boy's an American citizen. He gets grabbed, mm -hmm. only member of his family who is, because one of the beautiful things about the U.S. of A yeah. is citizenship by birthright, yeah. uh, which is uh, by, uh, by birth, yes. uh, right of the soil, if you will. Uh, very few countries in the world believe in that. Yeah. It's, an, it's an unusual thing. So young uh, little feller was born in America. That's why he's a citizen. Dad goes to the embassy, says, my son's a citizen, he's been kidnapped, I need your help. Embassy says, the FBI's going to be there to help you. Most people would imagine ninjas repelling out of helicopters. Somebody at least knocking at the door. Somebody's going to knock at the yeah. door shortly. Yeah. Instead of, you know, the men in black showing up at his front door, he gets a call from some guy in Washington, D.C. named Chris Voss. Yeah. Which I know, I get wind of this kidnapping within five, six hours of it happening. I okay. mean, that was a position I was in, had a great relationship with the State Department. I was usually the first person in the FBI that would ever find out about a kidnapping, much to the annoyance of FBI headquarters. Sure. Because they want to know first. Yeah, of course. Hierarchy. Right. So I find out, I place a call. What, you know, who's, who's, who's point of contact? What's the number? And he literally says to me on the phone, which is a, what one would how one would react. He said, you're in Washington, D.C., how are you going to help me? Mm -hmm. Now, I know he's going to, if I don't come up with something in 10 seconds or less, he's going to hang up. And, and I know what he needs to know. This is the same as a, as a first impression or really any impression. How much mm -hmm. time do you got to get a hold of somebody's attention and keep it? Instant. And what yep. are they looking for from you? Yeah. You know, do, do they want to know you know what you're doing? They do. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, credibility. Yeah. But how do you establish credibility without going on at length for 20 minutes about everything you've done? Have I told you my track record? I've yeah, done exactly. 150 of these, and right? Yeah, let me and show you how I'm right impressed now with myself. Makes that mistake, by the way. What's everyone that? that everyone that's listening. Yeah. This is why I wanted you to tell this story. Everyone listening, you listen to me right now. You've made this. Well, hey, so what are you going to do to help me? Like, how are you going to get my home sold? Why you versus somebody else? Well, let me tell you all about myself. Yeah, or I've done this before. Yeah. Which, by the way through the course of the conversation with his father, yeah. that never came up. So t I totally interrupted. Tell the, tell the, finish the story. All right, so I know not to laugh my resume. I know, I yeah. know not to uh, show off my experience because it's going to put him to sleep or he's going to hang up. Yeah. So instead, all I simply do is I say this. Mm -hmm. Haitian kidnappers are not killing kidnapped victims these days. I know that's really stupid because they kill each other at the drop of a hat, but for whatever reason... They're not killing victims. Now, today is Thursday, and Haitian kidnappers love 
the party on Saturday night. If you say the things I want you to say when I want you to say them, we'll have your son out by late Friday early or early Saturday morning. And he immediately said, tell me what you want me to do. You had him instantly. Because what I did was I, instead of, I showed him I knew what he was looking at. Yeah. I, he, I basically, here's what you're looking at. Yeah. Here's the problem you're faced. I did not give him in any way, shape, or form how I was going to solve his problems. No. No. Didn't, didn't give him my marketing plan. No. Didn't give him a value proposition. All I did, because right after they say to themselves, how are you going to help me? Mm -hmm. The next question is, do you see what I'm looking at? Bingo. Do you have any idea of the complexity of what I'm faced with? Yes. And I laid it out for him. And then I offered him an insight, which he didn't know, but he instantly knew to be true. Yes. If we, if we work this right, these guys are going to be vulnerable at this point in time. We'll cut our deal. They want their money so they could party. Yeah. I knew that to be the case. I know to look for that. And, you know, look, who's not driven by, you, you, are you going to try to get a banking, uh, a complex banking transaction completed on December 24th or December 26th? Mm-hmm. They're celebrating someplace. Exactly. You know, they're exactly. getting ready for the end of the year. They're, yeah. hot, you know, try to get something done on Wall Street in August. They're all in the Hamptons. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, they're all, hey, one of my guys that I need isn't going to be back. So let's just do this like the second or third, right? Right. Yeah. yeah after after, guys, after Labor right? Day. Yeah. Unless you're talking about a car sales guy, then they're like, yeah, baby, let's go. Well, you know, last day of the month, car <laughs> right? sales guy, you exactly. got him. Exactly. So it's, and, and, and through the course of the kidnapping, the, yeah. the father never asked me how many kidnappings I'd done. Yeah. How many times I've been to Haiti? By the way, I've never been to Haiti. Mm -hmm. I resolved dozens upon dozens of kidnappings in Haiti without standing foot in the country. Yeah. Because I've coached people. I'm a coach. Yeah. You know, he didn't ask me how many languages I spoke. He didn't ask me how long I was an FBI yeah. agent. I could have, for the evidence that I supplied him, it could have been my first day on a job. All mm -hmm. you need to do is know the market. And as soon as you tell somebody... That show them, not tell them you know the market, mm -hmm. but show your knowledge. Yes. The other thing, too, is you're not giving away any of your value by doing that. Mm -hmm. What you are is you're saying, I'm like, they say to themselves, wow, if this guy or gal knows the market, the chances that they know what to do with the market are really high. Bingo. You actually already answered my question, which is, you know, the, the clients that are watching this right now, the people that are listening are amazing in their own right, but they're not... They have options. The consumer has options, right? The the FBI, it all came to you. You with me? Where, yeah. they, where, where someone listening to this right now is going to say, yeah, but my buyer or seller, who in this case is the father, ah. has so many different options. What say you about that? Well, uh, they have so many bad right? options. Subtlety, right? yeah. You know, um, the, uh, any market is full of people that are not listening. Yeah. Uh, any, any market, you know, uh, people pay lip service to trust. Mm-hmm. You know, what's trust that you will actually look out for me? Mm -hmm. You know, that you will not sacrifice me at the first opportunity. Trust is you recognize long term is what matters, not short term. You're not going to cheat me short term because the long term consequences are really going to be bad. Mm -hmm. So the great thing about people having options is nine out of 10 of those options are bad. Yeah. You don't have to be that much better than everybody else because the vast majority of markets are filled with mediocre players. Well said. And you start raising the level of your game at all, and large chunks of your competitors immediately begin to fall behind you. 
we talked about earlier when we were just sitting at my table that the, the single greatest advantage today is learning. Learning. Like that is the degree of separation from like learning what to say, learning how to deal with people, learn, understanding human behavior, psychology, sales training, marketing is right on down the line. Learning. Well, it's not the, just the single greatest advantage, but it's the only sustainable advantage. Sustainable advantage. You know, some advantages, uh, you know, let's say I learned the latest app. Yeah. You know, I got the latest computer. That only lasts for as long as that technology exists. Thank and you. I wish I could tell you the, the, the executive from Royal Dutch Shell that said it. Mm -hmm. But a long time ago, in trying to improve their, their competitive advantage, they had them do this analysis and the only sustainable competitive advantage, which will be there for you year after year Thank after you. year, is learning. That's why I love my community. I mean, that's, you know, they're, they're so- They're into stuff. learning. They are absolutely. Okay, so listen to this question. You ready? Uh, if I assume correctly, your time as a hostage negotiator wasn't spent in negotiations all the time. It was probably a very small percentage of your time or of your overall responsibilities, right? Thinking 24 years, 150 cases. So just like realtors and lenders and, and people in the insurance business, salespeople, right? They've got a million things to do, Chris. And one of the most important is negotiating for their clients or on behalf of their clients. So what advice do you give to somebody who says, how do I flip the switch you know, when I'm doing all this other work and going to negotiation mode. All right, so let's help the person and ask a question to begin with. Yeah. Let's eliminate the word assume mm -hmm. from our vocabulary, but not in the annoying way that everybody says. Mm -hmm. When you assume, you're making an ass yeah, of you yeah. and me. We're not going to yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah. What we want to do is we want to drop in a word hypothesis. Oh, I've got a hypothesis. I, here's yes. my hypothesis, because yep. that alerts yeah. you. Yep that you need to be open to adjusting your hypothesis. Correct. And it keeps you in a learning mode. Uh -huh. Test your hypothesis and get more data. Yeah. Am I on the right track? Do I need to make an adjustment? So in point of fact, mm -hmm. as, as, especially as the FBI's lead international kidnapping negotiator, at every single moment, there's anywhere from one to four Americans that are being held someplace in the world. So when I moved into that role the last seven years of my career, which I loved, but I never had a day off. Yeah. I mean, I was into it. I was up to my eyeballs in yeah. it. I carried two telephones on me at all times. My son is now my director of operations, was playing college football at the time. I would be on the sidelines of his college football game, working a kidnapping with two phones and loving it. I mean, I was, I was up to my eyeballs. In Every it. successful agent right now knows exactly. I mean, we all do, right? No days we, off. We all, we all, you know, even if, if you even, love it. Yeah. If you love it, if you love it, you love it. And you can be watching. And, you know, being, yeah. you know and, but that's the business, right? Yeah. Especially real estate. Real estate's not Monday through Friday, eight to five. All the money's made before eight, after five, and all weekend long. Exactly. Because when are, when are your clients making their decisions? So, so how do you flip the switch? All right, so you don't. If you got to flip the switch, you're not keeping your skill level up. You know, small stakes practice for high stakes result. Negotiation. Say, say, say that again. Small stakes practice for high stakes results. Yeah. And... The most dangerous negotiation is one you don't know you're in. Mm -hmm. Everybody's in up to seven negotiations each and every day. If you're in a conversation where the words I want are in anybody's brain, you're in a negotiation. Yep. Yep. If you're in an interaction where you're hoping the word yes comes out, you're in a negotiation. One of my favorite examples, a gentleman started this website phenomenon called Secrets. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to him at a conference a couple of years ago. He said, tell me your secrets anonymously. I'm going to tell your secrets publicly. That's why I want them anonymously. Yeah. And I will share them with the world, whatever it is. Your, your 
somebody in your life abused you or is abusing you, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, people out there want to know that they're not alone. Yeah. So he gets a brand new Starbucks coffee cup, still in a wrapper to prove proof of identification that the person who sent it worked at Starbucks. And a note said, I give decaf to people who are mean to me. <laughs> are you in that. a negotiation when you're ordering coffee at Starbucks? Yes, you are. Look at my team right now every day, right? Every day. And every restaurant you walk into, I'm always really nice to the servers. Right? Yeah, you know, and, and, and one of our rules is never be mean to someone who could hurt you by doing nothing. Yeah. Which means everybody, which mm-hmm. also means everybody would help you if they felt like it. Bingo. And so those of you that think that you're developing a tolerance for caffeine, mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you that might not be it. I would also, I would also, <laughs> that's such a profound statement, Chris. I would also argue that in the high pressure stakes of the business that the people that are listening to this are in, uh, it never shocks me when I hear stories of, yeah, I just, man, I just erupted yesterday on my team or I, you know, came home and one of the questions is like, how do you separate business and work and negotiations? Like, but I'll, I'll save the question, but like, how do you help people get, like you're in negotiations every day with everyone around you. And if you're not kind of on good behavior at all times or paying attention, how do you get to that state, that heightened level of awareness we were talking about earlier? Well, it becomes how you look at it. Like, if you look at it as an adversarial process, yeah. then even if you like it, it's combat. Yeah, yeah. And Us it's going to wear them, you down. Me versus the world. There's going to be negative as- aspects to it. Yeah. Uh, somebody approached me a couple of months ago and said, what I love about your book is it's really, how do I get the other person on my team? Bingo. And then how do we collaborate together to solve the problem? Yeah. Now, with that mindset, mm-hmm. negotiation doesn't wear you out. Yep. It, you feel good about it. Yes. I mean, you're helping the people around you. We're working together. We're making everybody's lives better. Yeah. We're taking everybody ahead. Yeah. We're keeping our guard up for the bad guys. Mm-hmm. You know, if we mm-hmm. encounter an adversary that's a dangerous adversary, we can protect ourselves. Yeah. But by and large, it's about great collaboration. And then it doesn't wear you down. Yeah. You said accelerate negotiations. That's what I do. Yeah. That doesn't mean everybody wins. You just accelerate the negotiations. We want to find out what the best outcome is as soon as possible, yep. if there is an outcome, yeah. and then we want to decide whether or not we're going to take it. And what we really do is we put time back in people's lives. Because yeah. if you accelerate properly, then you don't need more time. You know, I, th- There's one hack that I'll give you 20% of your day back right away. Instantly. Share, share please. 20% of your opportunities are fake opportunities. 20%. Um, it's actually much higher than that. Mm-hmm. That's a stat from a book called The Challenger Sale. Mm-hmm. And they run the data. And what they did was they basically said, how many opportunities do you give people when really you're just looking for free consulting or really you're looking for a competing bid? Now, real estate people yeah. are being ask for free consulting all the time under the guys that we will hire you. Yes. And they, they just want your marketing plan to compare it to the guy that they're going to go with. Yep. And if or yours your, is different, your they're going to, they're going to steal yeah. your knowledge. Yeah. They're going to go with their brother-in-law anyway. Yeah. That's 20% of the opportunities. Now, the reason why that number has to be higher mm-hmm. is because they basically said to people, how often do you lie to people? Yeah. Nobody exaggerates how much they lie. Mm-mm. They would have minimized that. Yeah. They wouldn't have overestimated. Yeah. So if they admit to lying 20% of the time, yeah. the number's got to be higher. 
So one hack is awareness, but what's the hack to find out who's in the 20%? Start asking them about, you know, all right, so if we move forward, yeah. you know, what would, what would it look like moving forward with each other? Yeah. All right, I got a Hollywood guy's got me on the phone the other day. The Hollywood guys are famous for, they want to have an in-depth conversation with you at length. Mm-hmm. Steal all your ideas. I would say just bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Yeah. Take, take them to the writer. So I strongly suspect that this guy wants my ideas and he has a writer he's just going to give them to. Mm-hmm. So I say, well, you know, if we were to come to an agreement, we would put a, a show together, you know, what would that look like? He said, well, if we were to put together a show, you know, we would take the writer and he starts describing it and every single pronoun he uses leaves me out. Bingo. Vision drives decision. I've asked him a question. What's in your head? What's your vision of moving forward? Mm -hmm. He doesn't realize I've got him on a polygraph right now. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly enough, as he's describing the situation, it occurs to him that he's leaving me out. Yeah. How do I know? He, in the middle of the conversation, he switches and starts talking about the, instead of the consultant in neutral terms as if he doesn't know who it is, he starts dropping in you. Yeah. We would do this with you. Mm-hmm. Now, the only way he switches is because he's become aware that he's been called out. Bingo. So now, now my yeah, job yeah. is yeah. we live by the Oprah rule. Mm-hmm. Always leave a great last impression. Always, 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 always. Oprah has some success with yes, that. Yes, she does. I say, look, you know, I, thank you. You've been very generous with your time. Thank you very much for, for, for having this conversation with me. I'd love to have a great long-term relationship where we collaborate. At this point in time, if we're going to go any further, I'm sorry, I require mutual commitment. Yeah. And he says, well, well I don't think that's going to work. I say, well, you've been generous through the time, and I, thanks, thanks, thanks for your time, man. I hope someday we can work together in the future. I'm going to get off the phone. So we were talking earlier about the 90-10 rule that like 10% of all prospects are probably really real and probably right for you and 90% aren't. There's two issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they real and are they right for you? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I'll, I'll, uh, I use a phrase I stole from Joe Polish because, you know, we were Love talking Joe. about Joe yeah. earlier yeah. today. He says, don't work with the half people, work with the elf people. Half say, is, say, say it again. Don't work with the half people, work with the elf people. Half yeah. is hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating. Say that again. Hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating. Yep. And he said even a half could be hard, annoying, lucrative, and frustrating. Yes, yes. But there's elf people out there, easy, easy, lucrative, and fun. Yes. Now, even though we're a minority, it's a big world. Mm-hmm. And uh, hold on, I got a public service announcement to all my clients. And how many times have you heard me say you need to have multiple pillars of lead generation, yeah. lots of people coming in, so you're not desperate, which we've talked about and we're going to get into today, right. with the one client you have. That's never the situation you want to be in. And as soon as you, as soon as you open it up and become discerning, yep. you'll be shocked at how that bucket you're looking for, how quickly it fills up, especially when you're not wasting time with the half people. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. Joe Polish. Yeah, yeah that's a good shout you know, out. I'm a huge fan. All right. So you ready? I got all these questions from clients. So, uh, so Devin from Hawaii says, what sales techniques turn people off now? Not only turn people off now, but turn people off always. Yeah. It's a combination. Well, it's really only listening for one word. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
people want to be listened to, but there's so much more to the conversation than yes. Yeah. And people get concerned when they say yes. So, you know, what have I let myself in for is a, is a negative thought. And it's not emotions that are bad for negotiations. It's negative emotions. A negative emotion constricts your thinking. So at any point in time, somebody says to themselves, what have I let myself in for? Instead of sharing with you their concerns, yep. which is what you want them to do. Put it all on the table so put, I know what I'm dealing with. Put it on the table. Yep. But they become concerned and they have a tendency to then not share. They clam up. They, they, they close in a little bit. So listening for everything beyond yes. Or if, if, you, if you get a yes out of somebody and they go, yes. Oh, they all know. Yeah, yeah, they know. Uh, okay. So what's, what you do yeah. with that, what's, you know, the person's telling you, look, I, you know, I want to collaborate with this stuff that's bothering me. Yeah. So instead of taking your yes and running off and declaring victory, then look out for them. Say, you know, I heard you say yes, but sounds like there's something that's still bothering you. Instant trust. Instant rapport. Because when they hesitate like that, they're mm -hmm. also asking them themselves, can I trust you? Yes. And they know they've hesitated. So if they show you hesitation and you pick up on it, they're scared to tell you. And you recognize that fear and you instantly make them more comfortable. I mean, focus on how people tell you stuff versus what they tell you. Yeah. And again, accelerating outcomes. This is about accelerating to the deal. All right. So Sarah Haynes Realtor asks, and this is perfect, ready? Because we can't use our FM DJ voice. Any pointers on negotiating via email? All right. Quick, quick down and dirty on email. Yeah. Um, less is more. Everybody's problem with email, and I'll ask it, I can ask it like this. If you were to play chess via email, would you put your next seven moves in your email? Oh, that is such a... Mark, did you capture that one? Sorry, I'm like reading it, looking over at one of my writers over here like, that was really good. Say it again. If you were playing chess via email, would you put your next seven moves in the email? Of course you wouldn't. No, you put one move in there. Yeah. Because you make your move, you let the other side react, and then you move after that. Yeah. So people put seven moves in an email to start with. Yes. First of all, nobody reads long emails, but everybody writes them. Yes. You know, and we ask people, how many of your long emails do you read? None. How many of them do you write? All of them. Mm -hmm. So even if they read it, it's still seven moves, and they're not going to read it. Yeah. So put one move in the email. Mm -hmm. now, you need, now you need to make sure it lands. I would say, is it a subtle move? Is it trying to get to an easy yes or, uh, uh, or well, off a position? We're like, much more interested example. in how okay. or making a point. So then the important part about how does, how does it land and how does it end? Let's go back to Oprah. The Oprah rule mm -hmm. is put the Oprah rule in emails. Chances are whatever you say positively at the beginning of the email, do a cut and paste. Do not open the email with the positive. Put it at the end. Mm -hmm. Last impression is the lasting impression. Put, what most people want to do is, you know, hey, how are you? How are the kids? Flowery. Or yeah, look, build, build I really want to work this out with you. We really want a long-term relationship. And some people call this the, oh, by the way. Oh, mm -hmm. by the way, here's the problem. Mm -hmm. Now you start out positively. The, oh, by the way, has been pulled on so many people. Bang they don't home. pay any attention to your positive flowery opening. No. It caused them to get their guard up. Mm -hmm. So instead, give them a warning that bad news is coming. 
you're not going to like this. Okay. Mm-hmm. They appreciate the warning. Yep. They read on having been fairly warned. Yes. Then at the end, and this is true, you're not, it doesn't matter who you're sending an email to. Could be somebody you hate. Could be your ex-wife. Doesn't matter. If you're emailing, you are, in fact, trying to work it out positively. We don't ask anybody to lie. If you're communicating, you would love to work it out amicably. No matter how contentious it ends, put that at the end. The reason I'm emailing you is because I want things to work out amicably. I, we, what I want more than anything else is a great long-term relationship. It doesn't matter who's on the other end of that email. Bingo. That's true, and you've ended positively because those words will ring. The words that they repeat over and over and over and over in their head will be how that email ended. It gives them the opportunity to go back, look at the main part they didn't like that much, but every single time in a feedback loop, they go to the last impression. So let's let's add some, first of all, I love this. Uh, two questions. First, is there another way for you to say you're not gonna like this? Though I love that one. Yeah. But like what will happen is a bunch of my clientele, like we follow this philosophy of R&D, rip off and duplicate, Okay. right? So Chris sells us something, we're going to add it into every email. One, we have to say, you know, you're not going to like this. Two homes sold in the last 30 days that are competing with you, one at $25 less per square foot and another one at $15 per square foot, which means your home now today is overpriced by X. They're not going to like it, but that's the news. That's the news we need to deliver, right? If we want to have them amend their price. Here's the adjustment. Do you have the ask also? Yeah, give me the, yeah, give me the whole thing. Hey, it's Tom. If you've been listening to me for a while, you've heard me say repeatedly over and over again, we are living in the review economy. That's right. Consumers are making decisions based upon reviews. With that said, I'm looking to get this podcast into the minds of more amazing people just like you. You can help. Would you go to Apple Podcasts and write a review? Tell them what you think. Hey, one star, five stars, make up your own number of stars. Totally fine by me, but please go to Apple Podcast and write a review. It means the world to me. Thanks in advance. Now, let's get back to the show. They're not going to like it, but that's the news. That's the news we need to deliver, right? If we want to have them amend their price. Here's the adjustment. Do you have the ask also? Yeah, give me the, yeah, give me the whole thing. Tiny little adjustment. Yeah. Um, subtle move. Because that's a confrontational email. Yeah. So let's make confrontation not confrontational. Because that's our job, to yeah. be straight shooters. Yeah, How do yeah. we tell the truth yeah. without somebody feeling like they get smashed in the face with a brick? Yeah. One definition of confrontation is a focused comparison. Okay. So you take that email and you start it out with, you're not going to like this. And, and you, what you did was you put out two pieces of data mm-hmm. that are inarguably true. Yep. And instead of saying your house is overpriced, then you ask a how question because how returns control to the person being asked. Secret to gaining the upper hand in negotiation is giving the other side the illusion of control. Yeah. People love to be asked how and what. They're very deferential. Mm-hmm. People love to tell you how to do things. Yes. So it's an emotionally intelligent, wired question that's not designed to give information or seek information. Mm-hmm. What is a how question designed to make them think? Yes. Trigger a thought. Lay the two stats out and say, how does that compare to your house? They have to look at it and they have to, if they're mm-hmm. going to see it, yeah. they're not going to see it if you say, look, your house is overpriced. Yeah. Because the implied message of that is, hey, you're an idiot, which may be true. 
Yeah. But you don't get anywhere telling anybody that. Yeah. It doesn't help. And, and I'm using, I, I don't think my clients are implying that, you know, they're, they're an idiot, but they, but they are saying, I owe you this information. You're not going to like it. And I'm wondering, like, is there an ask? And the answer is there isn't. It's how do you interpret this? Right. How does I it stack that. up? How do you look at this? Yeah. Instead of giving them the seven points, is the response just to keep going back and forth via email or eventually get to the phone? Oh, well, in that one, you're going to look for a follow-up phone call. Okay. You know, you want Danny Kahneman and Thinking Fast and Slow would call mm -hmm. this triggering slow thinking, triggering yeah. slow in-depth thinking. Stop you in your tracks. The stop you in your tracks question. Mm -hmm. you know, and if they were walking and reading at the time or they're walking and listening to you, what would cause them to stop in their tracks, stop and think? Mm -hmm. And that's what you're trying to do with that question. So they're, they're either going to come back at you with an email, mm -hmm. you're going to be better off than what you were, or you're going to get them on the phone. Would you would you argue that um, or what? Maybe, what's your, yeah, what's your opinion? On, <laughs> you know, our clients are dealing with people that are busy on the go. You know, they're like we say, stay in modality, right? Some people want to text, some people want to talk on the phone, some people want to face face, some people want to use email, right. some people want to use DM on Instagram, and right. it's, and all and negotiations happening all the time, all the time. So, do you break or do you ask for permission for the phone call? Well, the reason people are people are in that modality is because so many people are wasting their time. Yeah. So from the very beginning, you want to show and uh, uh, that you listen because it's not a waste of their time to be listened to. You have mm -hmm. to actually listen. Yeah. People don't have time for people who waste their time. People don't have time for a, a process that's not producing progress. Yeah. Progress is often just knowing whether or not there's progress. Progress is making this situation predictable. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by predictable? You got a listing. You only contact your client when you got good news. Mm -hmm. When are you going to have good news? When you have a signed deal that's closed and you just handed them a check. It's Everything else in the middle is totally unpredictable. You can't predict it. Yeah. When's the yeah. kidnapping going to be over? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Separate issue from when are they going to hear from you? Yeah. You should, you're, you should never have a client wonder when is the next time they're going to hear from you, ever, mm -hmm. ever. Most people only want to call with good news. They call with bad news if they have to. On the other end of that, you have a client who doesn't know when they're going to hear from you. The most significant stressor in human existence is the unknown. You put your client in the unknown. Yep. Now, as stupid as it sounds, that father that I spoke to on Haiti at some point in time, I got to get off the phone with him. I got to call some other people. I got to scramble the fighters, whatever I got to do. How do I keep him from going in the, uh, completely falling apart? I never left anybody wondering when they were going to hear from me again. So we get ready to get off the phone. I said, you will hear from me in one hour. Stressful situation. I've now put predicted when's it going to be over. Nobody knows. Bingo. When are you going to hear from me? In an hour. Your clients, whether or not, nobody knows when the house is going to sell. Mm -hmm. But if your client knows they're going to hear from you every day at 10, and if all you do is say, look, just want you to know nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just a voicemail. Even if it's just I'm a checking voicemail. in. Hope you're doing great, Chris. Just letting you know, X. Because if yeah. you also get to the point where you have to get them to drop the price, one of those reasons is either there's been no showings mm -hmm. or everyone that went there stayed for two seconds and left. Mm -hmm. Or another piece of data that everybody has is this is how many times it's been clicked on initially on the website and there are no click-throughs. Yep. 
or no saves on all the famous right. You've got tons yeah. of data. Yeah. So Wednesday at ten. Look, just want you to know we didn't have any showings over the weekend. Mm -hmm. There's nothing new. Now your client begins to have a feel in the moment for the velocity and the momentum of what's happening in the market with their property. Mm -hmm. Then when you get to the conversation where you needed to get them to drop their price, they are brought up to speed all along the way. Mm -hmm. It's not a convincing conversation because they've been getting shared just small little touches, 30-second conversations. They've been getting touched on a regular and predictable basis. They trust you because you're predictable. And now at this point in time, when you say, what do you want to do? They're going to say, uh, we haven't had any showings in yeah. three weeks. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to hit you. I'm, I'm bouncing because a lot of people are going to say, yeah, but Chris, my yeah, clients but, are crazy. Yeah, <laughs> they are crazy. Even, even crazy. if I call them every Wednesday, they're still going to be like, you're not doing a, you're not doing a good enough job. You're not no, marketing the home enough. No, they're not. Because no agent that does this says that, number yeah. one. Yeah. Most agents don't. Mm -hmm. um, the first time I discovered this, I ran across an agent in Australia who had a higher referral pipeline than anyone in her industry. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know what? My clients never know, wonder when they're going to hear from us. We call them three times a week. We call them Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the same time. And if there's nothing new, we say, just call to tell you there's nothing new. And that was word for word the playbook of how I handled the Haiti father yeah. or the kidnapping in the Philippines. Don't leave them in the dark as to what the information at the moment is. They should always know when they're going to call because our problem in kidnappings, we're working through the family. When we need the family to do something, we don't need them going sideways on us. Yeah. When you need your client to change the price, when you need your client to redo the bathroom, when you need your client to pay to bring a stager in. Mm -hmm. If they don't like the predictability of the situation up to that point, that's when they go sideways. Yeah. When you need them to shampoo the carpets yeah. and the clients go sideways, or when you're in escrow and the buyer is demanding a $1,500 repair in a $3 million house, mm -hmm. And your seller refuses to do it over fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, it's the accumulation of the process that keeps people from going sideways. It's the same thing with kidnapping. There's a moment in time when I need them to do what I'm going to ask them to do unquestioned. Yeah, that is not the moment to convince them to do it. I'm already thinking of the headline for this show, like what kidnapping and selling real estate have in common. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to hit you with a bunch. You ready? Uh, so, Sean Zang Gang Gang Gang. Sorry, Sean, I can't say your last name, but go with Fairy, so you know what it's about. How do you tackle modern negotiation of silence? And we were talking about earlier, like, you know, the modern tackle of somebody ghosting you. Okay, people, not responding. people stop responding for two reasons. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be some of each in mm -hmm. this. Nobody stops a process that's making progress. So talking to you is a waste of their time. Yep. They're not being listened to. Nobody stops talking to someone who's listening to them. The bad news here is you're pitching and they're sick of pitching. Yep. You get on the phone and all you try to get them to do is say yes to everything. You don't want to hear what's after the yes. Mm -hmm. you're, it's one-way communication. You're just trying to get what you want out of the situation and move on. And you've taught them that talking to you is a waste of their time because yeah. they, they're never listened to. Yeah. So that's problem one. Problem two, on their end, they're losing their ability to get things done. 
to some degree or another, they're losing power on their end and they're embarrassed to talk with you about it. So what's the text? What's the voicemail? What's the email to two, bring them back? Two-stage two process. One-line text. Mm -hmm. Have you given up on working with me? Oh, that's so good. Have you given up on working with me? Now, they are going to respond somewhere between three and 30 minutes from sending it. Yeah. I'm not joking around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you send that from your phone or from your mm -hmm. computer, mm -hmm. sit there and wait because yeah. the answer is coming back. Yeah. Ding. They will come back. I'm not yeah. kidding. But then you have to be prepared to do what we call get a that's right out of them. Mm -hmm. Stop pitching. Summarize the situation from their perspective. Mm -hmm. This show get, takes you back from they're thinking you don't understand mm -hmm. to now I understand. I'm not asking you to understand. Uh, I'm not saying I understand. I'm showing you. Mm -hmm. Show them you understand the position from their perspective. Yeah. Part of that is that they're frustrated with you. Yeah. A, a great summary would probably be: Look, you got to be really frustrated with this process. It's not getting you where you want to go. You're concerned. You're concerned with how I'm responding. You're worried about me. You're worried that I'm keeping you in the dark. You really want to get this done, and on your end, there's some stuff that's frustrating you and bothering you that it's really hard for you to talk about. And then shut up. They're either going to say that's right, or they're going to feel like you're listening. Yep. So ideally, they correct you. People love to correct. Mm -hmm. Correcting you makes them feel good about talking to you, especially if you're listening. And how do they correct well, what they will correct you with is whatever you've gotten wrong. They will tell you yeah. where you're off track. Yeah. And also the, the awesome thing about correction is when people are correcting, they usually get real concise and they get real accurate and truthful. Nobody mm -hmm. corrects at pontification yeah. at length. Yeah. And they, it's a time when people are the most honest. Chris, it's when you told me when you were at my house that you could absolutely sell it at this price. Right. That's what all my clients like that right. stuff like that, where they did say it. Oh, I could sell this for eight ninety nine, And then something happened in the market. An adjustment was made. Another sale was a new comp was created. But in that, you know, that's I can hear that correction. Right. So where do you go from there? All right. So if they're saying that uh, again, you got you got to speak the truth. Yeah. Empathy is about the other side's perspective. Yeah. That's real easy with people we agree with or people that we like what they're saying. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to use empathy with people they don't like or the people they disagree with. Yeah. If somebody says that to you, you said that you could sell it at this price. Mm -hmm. the, the perfect empathy response is, you feel I failed you. Because they do. <laughs> exactly. This is the hard part about empathy. Yeah. Oh, I'll be empathic with somebody yeah, yeah, who yeah. agrees with me. Yeah, exactly. No, 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 no. That's not where the pros make their money. Yeah. That's not where the but, fixers fix things. But where do you go from there? Okay, so Chris, I, you know, I just, so you clearly feel, give me the line again. You feel I failed you. You feel I failed you. Yeah. You feel as a professional, I should have known this was coming. You feel as a professional, no matter how hard I insisted, that I never should have let you sign a contract at that price. I took a listing agreement at a price and you relied on me as a professional to tell you what was going on on a market and you feel I let you get blindsided. Yeah. 
What do you want to do now? That's my favorite question of all time, by the way. What do you want to do? Yeah. Because are, you can't, if, yeah. if they're done with you, but, if they're it, really done, you yeah. can't change that. Yeah. But if this is within reach, yeah. you have to show them you understand and you have to put them back in control. And you have to get them to listen to you. And at that mo moment in time, when they finally feel they're being listened to, now if, if there's a way to fix it, again, best chance of success. If there's a way to fix it, you find out in that moment. If there isn't a way to fix yep. it, it is time to move on. Exactly. So what do you want to do? I want out of my agreement or, well, I know the market's changed. And, you know, it right. sounds, you, you, what, what a lot of people are asking is like, how do you deal with the irrational person? So just remember this, this started out, the context of the question was, how do you tackle when a client ghosts you in the middle of a negotiation when they go silent? Right. So, so let me piggyback, and I forget who asked it, but it was like, how do you deal with the irrational? I'm, I'm sure in your experience, all of the people that were taking people hostage were all super rational, right? Well, so here's, here's the issue. Rationality is like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. Nice. What we're looking for yeah. is patterns. Yeah. No one's rational. Mm -hmm. Everybody has patterns. Mm -hmm. You make your decisions based on what you care about. Yep. That makes decision-making an emotional process because mm -hmm. you weigh out what matters to you, and then yeah. you make your decisions. Yeah. Everybody, everybody, everybody... And, and, and other than paranoid schizophrenics, and I know a lot of sure. people like yeah, to yeah. throw that out as a yeah, name, yeah, yeah. but only people who, are, who actually have fundamental, for lack of a better term, which probably sounds very callous, mm -hmm. only people who actually have wiring problems, mm -hmm. unless you're actually hearing voices, unless you're actually seeing things. Those people are unpredictable because we don't know what they're hearing and exactly. they're saying. That we got a lot of people we like to call that name, mm -hmm. which is unfair to everybody involved. Yeah. But everybody has patterns. Terrorists have patterns. Mm -hmm. Criminals have patterns. Kidnappers have patterns. Hostage takers have patterns. Your sellers, spouse sellers has have patterns. patterns. Buyers Your have spouse, patterns. Everybody's got patterns. Agents have patterns you're negotiating with. So how do you spot the pattern? And what do you do once, you, once you've identified You it? know, everybody spots the patterns. Yeah. Everybody says, I knew they were going to do that. But they, that they, was a pattern. But I think like the, how you label it matters, right? If you're like, okay, let me, let, me, let me pull away from the emotion. Right. That's just my seller running the pattern of disappointment around price. Or Look, if, if, if the house, if they insisted, mm -hmm. they wouldn't take the listing unless they pr priced it, which you knew to be too high. Yep. Couldn't get them out of it. And they even said to you in the conversation, mm -hmm. this is probably too high. Yep. You get no viewings. You don't you get, get no so showings. Whatever happens. Yep. You get no, no activity. Viewing, no showing. Yep. You got to go back to them and get them to drop the price. Yep. And they start screaming at you. Yeah. We would call that irrational. Yes. But there ain't anybody listening to this that finds that surprising. No. It's eminently predictable. Bingo. There's a predictable pattern here. All the emotions are eminently predictable. The, the thing that we now know, both from hostage negotiation, practicing it, and now neuroscience backs it up, that when they react negatively, instead of saying to them, I don't want you to feel that I let you down. Mm -hmm. Again, empathy has nothing to do with reality. It's the other person's perspective. Yep. It's a hard break for some people to make. Say it again, because it is an important distinction here. Empathy has nothing to do with reality. It's what's the other side's perspective. 
it's not what you said. It's how they hear it. It's what's going on inside their head. Right. Yeah. So take the two millimeter shift instead of saying, I don't want you to think I let you down. Instead of labeling it, instead of denying it, labeling it. Instead yeah. of saying like, I don't want you to think there's an elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. Instead you say, there's an elephant in the room. You make the elephant seem far less frightening as soon as you say, there's an elephant in the room. And people go, yeah, but, eh, yeah, it doesn't, I'm not that intimidated by it. If you want to say, I don't want you to feel like I let you down, say, you feel I let you down. That is not the same as, I let you down. Exactly. What you just did was show them you had complete respect for their point of view. Mm -hmm. You did not admit it. Nor did you deny it. It, you showed no sympathy. You showed. See, it's a other other cool thing about empathy. Empathy is not compassion. It is a compassionate thing to do. Yes. The other side feels compassion. You don't have to have compassion to exercise empathy. You feel I let you down. That's not an admission. Yeah. It's kind actually kind of like I'm sorry about how this information makes you feel. Well, I wouldn't even go there. No. Because, the, the, you know, there's a problem with your use of the pronouns in there convolutes the message. Okay. And, and, and a lot of people that manipulate us yeah. use it like that to extricate them. I mean, you might be generally f yeah, sorry yeah, yeah. for how they yeah, feel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's the manipulators what, use, use that one a lot, and, and that's a bad one. What you do Tell is— me, Break that down for me so I understand. Um, well, I'm sorry. Yeah. First of all, I don't care if you're sorry. Okay. When you call customer service, yeah, I call, yeah, yeah. I got a problem with my cable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a person is coached to say, I'm sorry. That I'm sorry the person's you. late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I don't understand how you being sorry solves a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you know, it. you're okay. going to say, I'm sorry to me and think it's over? Yeah. I still, I'm sitting here in the I'm dark. I'm still waiting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My house still isn't sold. Right. Okay. I All love right. it. So I love they, the they don't want you to be sorry. Yeah. On yes. a hotline, they used to say, somebody's in quicksand, it doesn't help them to get in the quicksand with them. Yeah. They want out of the quicksand. Yeah. And so then you go back, I'm, I'm sorry, you feel I let you down. Now, unfortunately, then you got to be real careful with the word you because it's a little bit of a jab. Okay. And it's a little bit, you know, I'm sorry you misinterpreted the situation. Wait a minute, I didn't misinterpret didn't the situation. Yeah, there's, exactly. there's a secondary exactly. argument here. Yeah. Which is why a lot of extremely well-intentioned things with just tiny little wrong turns along the way, mm -hmm. the words don't have the impact we want them. They don't land the way we want them to. Yeah. Okay, hold on. I got to just say it. If you have not read this book... <laughs> You need to run to Amazon.com or wherever you're going to get this book. Because everything best price we're talking on about Amazon. Is, I don't work for Amazon. Yeah. It's the best price for the book. But I want to you know, like everything you're talking about is inside here. Yeah. I mean, it's it, the language patterns, how to use it. Okay, so I'm going to hit you with a bunch more questions. You ready? Uh, I love this. Hey, by the way, I read his book twice. Amazing. Uh, what about specific realtor negotiation tips? Now, we're kind of doing that the whole time, so I'm going I'm to pass on that one. All right. How do you know when it's time to walk away from a negotiation, asks uh, at Jeremy Sitola. Totally saying that wrong. How do you know when it's time to walk away from negotiation? We kind of covered it earlier, but give us some insight on that. Well, first of all, I, I, I want to I get a clear picture, a good picture of two things. What's possible, mm -hmm. which is not what I originally had in mind. Yep. Because what's possible is always better yeah. than what I had in mind. Yeah. Always. Mm -hmm. So my job is to get in there and discover a better deal. Mm -hmm. So then is the better deal, do I like that deal? And do I like who I'm doing it with? That's a big part of it too. Now, 
I might not like them and the deal is still worth it. Mm -hmm. But I am not kidding myself about the fact that I got a tiger by the tail. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend they're going to be nice and warm and fuzzy. We have done deals with people we don't like because the overall value there for us was enormous. Mm -hmm. We just don't kid ourselves about uh, being friends with somebody that we was dis dishonest. Every person that's watching or listening has closed the deal and said to themselves, I'm probably going to get sued after this. Or, you know, just because just you just know. And I, suing is a, you know, something's going to go wrong. Something's going to go it's wrong. It's just who that client is. It's just the situation, the Ex house, except whatever it may be. Except if the deal's worth it, okay. Yeah. By and large, we walk away from good deals with bad people. Yep. We had, and my son, my son Brandon, who's my chief negotiator, hates not making deals. Yeah. We had a deal on the table about two, three months ago. He says, you know, we can make this deal. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, I know we can make this deal, but yes is nothing without how. Mm -hmm. And these guys are horrible at how. These guys are screw ups. Mm -hmm. Everything they touch goes wrong. Yep. It goes in the tank. And they're, they're going to get bought by another company. Mm -hmm. And we don't know who that is. And chances are it's going to be somebody that's going to give us trouble. So even though we could make this deal, these guys can't implement. We're wasting our time. And that's when we walked away. That's big. That's big. All right. How do you, uh, so Dustin Martin Realtor asks, how do you decipher what someone says they want versus what they really want? Yeah, a tone of voice, tease it out. Um, chances are, there's two issues, um, what they said they want, what they really want, and the door number three, what's actually possible. Mm -hmm. And what's actually possible, again, is always better. How, how is it always better? They're always keeping things from you. You're always keeping things from them. Yeah. We only hold back stuff that's important. They don't know what you're holding back. By definition, they have no idea what's possible because you're not holding back stupid stuff. You're mm -hmm. holding back important stuff. Yeah. You're scared to tell them. Mm -hmm. Why are you scared to tell them? Because it would influence the outcome. Negatively, if it was misused. Positively, if it was used. Mm -hmm. We're both sitting on information that could make things much better if we just let it out. So, so what's you, possible yeah, is you, always better. How do you help them get it out? I think the question is like, so how do you... like? You're definitely giving some deciphering tool. How do I help them get it out? First of all, start by listening. Mm -hmm. Being deferential. They drop their guard when you're deferential. They're more likely to reveal stuff to you because they feel safe. Mm -hmm. Then actually, the, the crazy thing is, they know stuff that's important. They don't have any ideas important. The more you get them talking, the more they're going to throw something out inadvertently. Mm-hmm. When you go like ding, 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 you have no idea. Yeah. That's perfect. Yes. It's exactly what I needed. Mm -hmm. And it'll be inadvertent, which is, uh, long story short on that, their body language won't tell you it's there. Yeah. Everybody's into body language because I want to know when somebody's lying. Mm -hmm. You only lie about stuff you know is important. If I'm only sitting here watching you for tells, I half the information that matters, you don't know it's important, so you're not going to give me a tell. Yeah. You know, you're not, you're not going to look up and left before you yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah. So I need to get you in, in, in just a steady stream of conversation where we're conversational. And the chances of you throwing something out inadvertently is better than 50%, which always makes those conversations worthwhile. Yeah. I think the overarching thing here is listen. Listen and process. Yeah. To some degree, what are you listening for? One of the things that you're listening for is, Real estate agent, you're trying to decide whether or not the potential client's going to decide on you. Yeah. 
Yeah. The best indicator of future behavior is past behavior. Mm -hmm. How did they make this decision in the past? Yep. That's going to tell you right away if you bear no, if the circumstances with working with you bear no resemblance to a past decision, yep. they're not going with you. Do they only um, do real estate, uh, high real estate agents that have been referred by a specific family member? Mm-hmm. If you're the first agent among many that they're contacting and you know, have no pre-existing relationship with them, have they ever made a life-changing decision being advised by someone they have no pre-existing relationship with? Now, maybe they have. Mm -hmm. The odds are against it. Yeah. But you say, all right, so have, have you ever done anything like this? Has it ever made a life-changing decision? in the past with somebody you didn't already know? You know, and you're asking that with that, that's a genuine tone of voice. Mm -hmm. That's not a judgy tone of voice. No, no, no. Somebody you didn't already know? And they'll go like, no, but. And that sounds like a question I would ask if I'm the one that knows them and wants to win the business and they might be being wooed away by somebody else. You gotta, you gotta understand the landscape. You're, right? you're designed to shape but, thinking. But if I am that person, who they just met, they saw me online, they read a review, they happened to click on a website, and I got an email lead. Right. Would I ask that same question? Yes, absolutely. Why? Because you want to know whether or not the deal's there same, for you. Sameness versus difference, right? Yeah, am, am I the fool right. in the game? Yeah. Now, maybe they did, but you got to know what caused them to make that decision. Yeah. Oh, you did. And the guy said, well, you know, one time, you know, I made this, this big deal, and, you know, what I do is, you know, I check to see who the experts are. Yeah. All right, so now you know... It's not how many deals you've done, it's how good you are at them. Mm -hmm. Not the same thing. Yeah. You can't go on and on about how many deals you've done because that correlates loosely with whether or not you're good at it. Correct. Now they really want to know whether or not you're good at it, mm -hmm. which is why putting out a newsletter about your market establishes yourself as an expert in the market and now you're not a seller, you're not, you're not an agent, you're an expert in the market. Bingo. you got separate credentials mm -hmm. to back up that they will make a life-changing decision, which, by the way, many people will because they go to experts first mm -hmm. before they go to salespeople. Mm -hmm. So if you can show a level of expertise where your reputation is built not on your transactions but your ability to talk about the market, oh, now I know that's the aspect of my value proposition that makes a difference to this person. Bingo. Bingo. I love it. Okay. I got to just say, I'm so fired up about the summit. A lot of people are asking like, okay, what can we expect from Chris at this event? Right. Cause maybe they've read your book, you know, but like I've listened to your book like three times. I've read the book once, right. I actually like to listen to the audio cause I like to hear the, you know, the tone, the tempo, the voice. Um, what are they going to hear different? You know, uh, and I'm not saying they have to. I'm just curious. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to tell a few jokes. <laughs> you know, I'm going to take a couple questions. You're going to tell them where you're really from because they all think you're from like Long Island. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, you know, yeah. no, no, we're, you know, we're going to take a deep dive into some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you got to hear things from a couple of different angles yeah. to get it, mm -hmm. to make the light bulb come on. Yep. You got, you got to get a feel. Yeah. You know, um, Look, if the only way, if the best way to learn stuff was reading it on in books, you wouldn't have we, a summit, would you? Yeah, and we'd you all just be, put out written geniuses. materials. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't, it doesn't work. You got to experience it. It's a, it's you learn at different times in different modes. Yeah, 
and getting in and swimming mm -hmm. is different from watching people Bingo. or reading about it. So it's a chance to get in and swim and feel a little bit more, get caught up in the actual energy in a room. Are you going to make them do some exercises? We're going we're gonna to give each other shoulder massages. <laughs> I already do all that stuff. Uh, they're all they're right, fine. Right, they're, right. If you're tense, I got you covered. Exercises or no? We'll, 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 we'll play a couple games. Okay. You know, yeah. um, I, I love the phrase, let's play a game. Because yeah. that is the beginning of those Saw horror uh, yeah. movies where the bad guy says that. You know, yeah. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. This group uh, that you're going to work with, now there's going to be, you know, 6,000 in the room. There's going to be, you know, tens of thousands on the live cast around the world, wherever, you know, watching it for weeks. Um, the people that are in the room are going to shock you because they have so much energy. I mean, it's, it's arguably the best of the best of the best of the best. Yeah. Right? In their local market, on a national level, in their company, et cetera, um, every one of them shows up with a lot of energy. So you're, you know, you're, you're gonna love it. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. All right. So three more questions. Gonna levitate. There might be a little of that. Right. Might be a little of that. Uh, Billy Buckan Company said, "I've read his book. It's incredible. What tactic does he think is most applicable to real estate?" Wow, interesting. Um, That's broad because we've we've covered so many. There's a lot, and a lot. Yeah. Of, you know, again, my son Brandon likes to say, "Situation drives strategy." Yeah, you know, but the first one really is uh, hearing people out. Yeah, because everybody knows that buying or selling a house is one of the five most stressful stressful events in anybody's life. Mm -hmm. So many agents want to approach it is all I got to do is explain things to them. Bingo. You can't explain stuff to people when they're not stressed, let alone when they're in the middle of one of the five most stressful events of their whole life. Bingo. So what's the, what's the game changer? Hearing people out has a tendency to calm them down real fast and make them less argumentative. Now, you know as an agent that this is going to be a bumpy ride. Is gonna the whole back and forth of getting a contract signed is gonna be emotional. Yep. And you haven't even gotten to escrow. And something's gonna happen in escrow. Mm -hmm. And so the process of hearing people out tends to accelerate the learning curve for your buyer or your seller, so that when you have to make them get them to make a hard decision, that speed bump that you're gonna hit is a lot lower than it would have been if they hadn't felt listened to along the way. Mm -hmm. People are willing to do what you tell them if they feel heard out. 100%. If they don't feel heard out, yeah. they're not going to do what you tell them to do. Okay, that's profound. i got to ask you a totally unrelated question. Your tempo, right, is like it, it feels very intentional, right? Your rate of speech. Right? You, meet, you meet people that, hey, man, they're fast talkers. and You know what I mean? Like, and, and there might even be someone Don't listening right now. Don't be calling me out in front of everybody here. What are you I'm trying to do? I'm you calling me out you. here? I'm calling you out. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm acknowledging that you're giving away is, the store here. But you know, but there's... there's like, oh, yeah, it so is. So we would teach people when you're trying to build rapport, you want to pay attention. Maybe they're, maybe they're a little slower talker. Maybe they're a medium pace. Maybe they're a fast talker. If they're a fast talker and you're a slower talker, are you in or out of rapport? Right? Like, so just like, I'm super just, I've always been mindful of that. I'm curious, is it super intentional? Like, like when you're in the middle of a negotiation, will there be times where you pick up like pace wise, go a little faster, raise your volume? Or is it very FM DJ voice the whole time? No, if it's FM DJ voice the whole time, puts people out, puts them to sleep. You don't yeah. want to do that. They can't yeah. pay attention. Yeah. 
You know, but th- th- there's a lot that I put into my my tone, my pacing, my inflection. I know. It makes all the difference. All right, look. Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. I'll bet you from his funniest show, mm-hmm. if I stood up there and read what he said word for word, monotone, it would be the most boring thing on the planet. Yeah. Chris Rock's ability to keep your attention and uh-huh. to be funny and uh-huh. engaging and make you feel like he gets it thousand percent through his delivery. hundred percent. Tone, yeah, tempo, yes, volume. Is, are his words brilliant? Yes, they are. Yep. He's smart enough to know that ain't enough. Yeah. You know, and so I know that in order to make it, and I we know a lot of neuroscience. Mm-hmm. So I know at different points in time, the way I resonate, change the tone of voice, way I inflect up. Yeah. I want not only do I want to make it easier for you to listen, I also want it to land softly. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I knew there's intentionality behind it. I had to ask, right? Somebody, Practice, it's work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, ready? So I, I've been getting these like late little messages handed over. This is from my brother, Patrick, who is a real estate agent down in San Diego, California. And uh, he says, representing- Older his, or younger brother? Younger brother. I yeah, so, I mean, you got to tell this kid to do what the, this guy, kid what to do all the time. I mean, Patrick, I, your, your whole you life look, you've been look, looking out for look him. Look right in the camera and tell him that. Patrick, Patrick you know, listen to your older brother. I mean, he knows what he's talking about. Stop telling him he's wrong. Stop arguing with him. He's actually super coachable. Love you, buddy. All right. Now you got me all blushing, right? So Patrick says, uh, hey, I'm representing a seller. How do we motivate the buyer to make an offer? Uh, I think he's saying without sharing motivation, without giving up a strong negotiation position. So how do, I, how do I motivate the buyer to make an offer, right, without giving up positions of negotiation for my seller? Yeah, well, uh, the challenge here, uh, scarcity. Yeah. Scar- uh, scarcity, fear of loss. Mm-hmm. Fear of loss is the single biggest driver of decision-making yep. in the history of mankind. Yeah. Uh, it revolves around what we learned from Danny Kahneman, won the Nobel Prize in behavioral economics. It's so significant. Yes. So you're understanding fear loss, but also you don't wield that weapon carelessly. Mm-hmm. You don't want people to feel like they've been taken hostage because they're going to they're gonna push back. You start inflicting loss without demonstrating understanding first. People do things that are against their best interest out of spite. Mm-hmm. So understanding fear of loss and using it with great power becomes great responsibility. You know, who's that uncle so-and-so? Spider-Man, Spider-Man's yes, uncle yeah. said that, right? So empathy precedes assertion. Mm-hmm. Bob Manukin wrote a brilliant book called Beyond Winning. Bob Manukin is the head of negotiation at Harvard. I talk about him in my book. Best chapter on empathy probably ever written in his book. Mm-hmm. Title of the chapter is The Tension Between Empathy and Assertiveness. Mm-hmm. The Tension Between Empathy and Assertiveness. I remember I saw that title. I remember thinking, like, Bob, I thought you liked empathy. Yeah. This title makes it sound like there's a problem. Mm-hmm. I came to realize it was, it was a fake headline. It was a fake title. Exactly, it was a hook. It was a hook. Bob's point was empathy precedes assertion. Yes. The a- application of tactical empathy puts you in a position to be very assertive. The more empathic you are, the more assertive you could be. Mm-hmm. How do I get a buyer to make an offer? What's things look like from their perspective? You probably feel like we're trying to pressure you. You probably feel like we're trying to make this property look like it's worth more than what it is. Mm-hmm. You probably think we're trying to scare you into making an offer. We've got competing bids. It's not going to be here forever. Mm-hmm. 
Now you start that conversation with, hey, I just want you to know we've got competing bids. The property's not going to be here forever. A guy on the other side Which is, is like classic, you know, in email, text, and over the phone. Or what's their reaction? Email. Their reaction is "f you." Yeah. Well, yeah. how much? Well, how much? The, you know, or, or my yeah. my buyer really wants it. How much? But let me flip it on you and say, what if what if the situation is there's lots of inventory, so right. there is no fear of loss because if not this one, then the next one. All right. So, but there's you know, lots of inventory doesn't guarantee the future. There's no, nothing more frightening than a dark future. Mm-hmm. You probably feel like you can sit back and wait on this as long as you want. Yeah. You probably think there's a lot of inventory. Uh, the market is it's a glut. Mm-hmm. You probably think that this property isn't different than any of the others. You want to risk losing it? Do you, you want to risk an offer falling out of the sky and this thing moving before you get a chance to move on it? Because no matter how much of a glut there is in the market, no one can predict mm-hmm. when an offer is going to fall out of the sky. Yeah. Right guy's going to come along. Circumstances are perfect. You know, everything may look the same. Every property has some distinguishing characteristics. You run a risk at somebody else going to come along, fall in love. They're going to get married. You'll be left at the altar. Yeah. But you can't throw that out there without throwing out an understanding of their perspective first. I think that's the key distinction. So I'm going to flip it on you and give you a different one, right? So this is another one of those questions, which is, okay, now let's Are we in final jeopardy? I mean, I Wait, think I'm doing pretty good now. Yeah, is, you're is doing great, tough man. questions <laughs> for 500 here? Let's go. All right, let's bring it uh, on. Tom Ferry for 200. What is, all right, so let's flip it and say I'm representing the buyer right. and the listing agent isn't as strong. And I'm not direct. I can't call the seller direct. I've got to work through the listing agent that's a bad negotiator. First of all, there's always a team on the other side. You're always work, no matter what the circumstances are, you're always working through people to affect either the decision makers or more importantly, the deal killers. Yes. You have to affect the deal killers. They will not come to the table. What you want to begin to do is in a really innocuous way, you need to load up your counterpart with the things you want them to say to the other side. So you look at the counterpart and you say, seems like your client's willing to risk walking away. Seems like your client's willing to lose this over $1,500 repair. Mm -hmm. Now, there's two things about the way that I said that because I'm trying to I'm doing inception here. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get you to turn around and say it to your client with and those exact same exactly. words and tone. The only and tone. So the only way I'm going to do it is by modeling it for you. Yeah. Now, label triggers contemplation. Seems like sounds like looks like. I'm just trying to get you to think about something mm-hmm. and saying it starting with those words sort of bypasses the traffic cop part of your brain that filters and gets right into the thinking mechanism. So it triggers the thought. And then my inflection is that of genuine curiosity. Mm -hmm. Because I could see, seems like you're willing to walk away from this over $1,500. Yeah. Now my inflection there- Or 15,000 or 150,000 based upon the price. Right. Would you still say the same thing? Let's say it's a $3 million deal. Let me finish. I've got to finish. Okay, okay, okay. So my inflection the second way was like, I think you're stupid. Yeah. My inner voice betrays my outer voice. Yeah. My inner voice is, that's a dumb move. Mm-hmm. My tone of voice has said that. Mm-hmm. But it seems like you're willing to walk away from this over $1,500. Yeah. That's genuine curiosity. Mm-hmm. 
Now that means the chances that it's going to land right in your brain and your, your counterpart is now going to turn around and go to a seller and say, are we really willing to walk away from this over $1,500? Yeah. That's the conversation you want to trigger away from the table on the other side. Mm -hmm. So it's how do you construct what you say so it lands well? How do you say it so it lands well? Mm -hmm. And they don't realize that you're scripting them. Yeah. Is there a number of things? Like, I love the movie Inception. It was fantastic. So I, I love that metaphor. Um, is there a number of things you can plant before, you know, kind of, you know, one, two, three, too many? Or? Well, I, you know, I, li I like making my moves one at a time. So I'm going to want okay. I want to, because it's going to reset. There's going to be a certain amount of reset yeah. in, in any given. The reason why chess is not a good metaphor for negotiations is because the pieces on a chessboard are not all connected by springs. Bingo. The web of tension, as Herb Cohen would have said in his book, you can negotiate anything. Mm -hmm. If, uh, if all the pieces on a chessboard were connected by springs, then every time you moved the piece, all the other pieces would move a little. And by the time you made two or three moves, the entire board would have reset. The web of tension is in, in negotiations are spring-loaded decision-making. Mm -hmm. So when I make one move and I get your reaction, the whole board is going to reset a little. And if I get too far ahead of myself, I'm now calculating, calculating out a game that is no longer there. Bingo. I, can, I might be able to think three moves ahead, never more than three. Because mm -hmm. after three moves, the board's going to be reset. So I like making a move and seeing how the board resets itself so that my next move is that much smarter. Love it. Love it. Okay, this has been super rad. I'm actually looking at my team like, I told Chris earlier when we were just chatting, I said, I'll, They're I'll all be, asleep. I'll, I'm I'll looking be that out guy here. Me. All these people are uh, nodding off. Nobody's paying attention. <laughs> They're all over there taking notes. So, so as, we, as we wrap this, I want to just tell everybody again, buy this book. Buy the book. Get the audio. Subscribe to our newsletter. Subscribe, which I've done recently and I'm thoroughly enjoying. Who writes the newsletter? Uh, um, everybody on the staff. I, okay. I, wrote, I write some. Brandon writes some. Derek writes some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's got a son working for him too. There's, we got a, all kinds of conversations. I had, I, I am I going to meet him? Is he coming I, to the I, summit? I, I, you know, uh, I haven't talked to him about it. I think he would love coming out. He's married. He's got kids. No kids yet. Okay. No kids yet. Yeah. We're across the street from Disneyland. Daughter. You know? Well, yeah, a couple years from now that'll be happening, yeah, right? Exactly. Grandpa will be taking the kids to Disneyland. Yeah, that's right. Is he? Uh, is he following your footsteps? Is he out? Is he out speaking and He's training and consulting? Leading. Oh, I love that. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't do the keynotes. Okay. He's our chief negotiator. He cuts yeah. all our deals. He yeah, yeah, is yeah. ridiculously good. And and he'll come back and he'll say, All right, so I, I applied the tactic in under these circumstances. Yeah. And I'll say, That's a new tactic. Yeah. I said, You that was brilliant. Yeah. That's new. Yeah, he, new, he, new distinction. His favorite thing, we traveled together a lot. His favorite thing is really annoying. He wants to have a better hotel room than me in every hotel we're in. Yeah. We wanna we wanna we want to reserve the same room, same price. We're, you know, we're both supposed to be, you know, king yeah. size, single. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's going to get in there, and he's going to get the suite that they got available. Yes. And he got he got a room in a hotel one time where I couldn't even get on the floor. Yeah. It was it was secure access, and I go, well, tell me what room it is. I'll come right up. Yeah. Because you know, I'm sensing that he's got another suite when I'm in a you know in a single bed. Yes. And he goes he goes now nah, you can't come up. I got to come get you. I go I go. 
No, no, no. Come on. He says, no, no, no. He says, wait, you, you'll believe it as soon Your as you key. see. Your key. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't even get on the floor. They had, <laughs> and, and they had a guy at the door making sure that somebody wasn't supposed to be there come walking in. I get walking in and I get treated like I'm a stalker or something. I want to say that people run a hotel. This kid works for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm the boss. What are you doing putting him in a better room than me? He does that to me all the time. You proud? I'm enormously proud. Yeah. yeah. He's a good man. Use uh, what you guys don't know is off camera. Chris and I were chatting, and and we're talking about you know kids and life and family and business. And I and you made the comment. You said when people call the office, it could be him or you. You both sound exactly the same. We sound a lot alike. Yeah. Was that intentional on his part? Uh I mean, I, so I, much know, so that know. so much so that people will say this is like they assume it's you. He he makes he he. He, he thinks it's funny every now and then to call up one of my ex-girlfriends and start a conversation with her because they think it's me. <laughs> or, That's good. The only, I told you the only person he never fooled was our bartender. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're getting ready. We're getting. We and I'll give a shout out to the Capitol Grill in Washington D.C. Love that. Place. We're on yeah. our way to the Capitol Grill. We know the kitchen closes at ten. We're not going to get there till after ten. I said, all right, call in, ask, speak to the bartender, whatever bartender, whoever it is, yeah, pick yeah. pick it up, pull it. You know, they know me. Yeah. They'll put in the order before we get there yeah. if I say I will be there. Yeah. So he calls up and a bartender is this woman named Abby. She is sharp as a tack. Yeah. And he says, Abby's Chris Voss wants you to know, look, we, you know, I, my son Brandon and I are going to be there. We're not going to get there until the kitchen closes. We know it's against the rules. We want to put in a, uh, an order for our steaks right now. And Abby goes, Brandon, I know it's you. Don't ever call and lie to me again. I'll put in the order, but don't ever try to fool me again because you're not fooling me a bit. <laughs> so like, we're talking like like he could he could get it with the FBI, major Fortune 500 company that ever called him out. <laughs> yeah, world world states, but like. The bartender, our, our bartender, who yeah, knew? That's the key. Our bartender knows. That's the key. Hey, so as we as we wrap this up again, man, I am I'm super excited. I think this is going to be a a wildly successful podcast in our world. We do you know video, audio. They're going to get it Instagram. It's going to be everywhere. Um, and I'm going to see you again at the summit. So that'd be awesome. If there was just one piece of advice besides get the book, read it, devour it, uh, what's one last like? Hey, before I see you in August at the summit. Try this. Do this. Take well, this Well, do, do two things because really yeah. subscribe to the newsletters. Yeah, I agree. Text, text I agree. to sign up. Yep. And it's free. Yep. And it adds, and it's easy to read. Short, sweet, concise. I agree. Not a long piece. Yep. Send a text message to the number 22828-22828. The message has to be FBI empathy, all one word. Don't put the spell check space in there. Don't let it put that space in. Sign up for the newsletter. Yeah. Now, in the meantime... See what happens if you just take a few moments in each conversation. It's only going to cost you 20 seconds yeah. to two minutes. Yep. See what happens to just try to paraphrase the other side's perspective before you give yours. Paraphrase what they've said. Stop and listen. Take their reaction mm -hmm. and see what happens. Try that in your low-stakes conversations because you're going to be scared to do it in high-stakes. Yep. Yep. Do it in... You're talking with somebody where you want to go to lunch. Yep. Something simple. Where should we get coffee? Mm -hmm. Practice that a little bit. You will be shocked at how much they like that you did it. Yes. You will also be shocked at how often they will say, you know what, your idea will work for me. I'm good. Give people a chance to have your way. Yeah. And that's the way you do it. Yeah. That's so good. That's such a great action for everybody. Hey, man, 
Thank you. Thanks for having super, me. In, super man. awesome. Sorry, like jumping around the microphones. Uh, hey, also uh, on Instagram, do you know your Instagram handle? The FBI Negotiator. The FBI Negotiator. Follow I me follow on them, IG. Yeah. Right, and uh, and they're going to see you at the summit, and those that It'll aren't going to be summit. there will see you on the live cast, or they'll see you through this podcast. But man, this was awesome. It Thank is just you. A Thank total you. Pleasure. Absolute pr- privilege yeah. to be in. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right, guys. We'll talk to you on the next podcast. Thanks. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.